You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Good morning. How nice of you to be hugging and greeting one another. That's so good to see that. If you had trouble parking today, I need to take responsibility for that. I only got through half my sermon in 50 minutes, so I'm going to finish up the whole thing today at this service. No. Um, but if the parking lot was a mess, I'll take responsibility. I was, uh, I was the fault of that. Um, then again, maybe you'd want to have extra donut and coffee too. I don't know what was the, the best thing for that. I asked our worship band today to kind of end their music with a doxology because it talks about a, a scriptural principle that is so important for us. Glory be to the Father, sings the church, and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. Jehovah, Father, Spirit, Son, mysterious Godhead, three in one. This is the God whom Christians worship, a triune Jehovah. The heart of Christian faith in God is a revealed mystery of the Trinity. Christianity rests on the doctrine of the threeness or the tri-personality of God. That's what makes us unique as a faith and as a belief system. And this is what's brought out in the Gospel of John. Now what I find interesting is, so many of us, when we find a new believer or somebody young to the faith, and they say, I want to find out more about Jesus. What book of the Bible should I read? We always say, oh, go to John. He's so easy to understand. And... uh, How long has it been since you've read John? Uh, Because John throws us into the deep end of the pool theologically. Uh, And it's a good thing he does because we have to swim there. Right off, John begins his gospel, this sweet gospel of the closest friend to Jesus with these words. John wants us to understand this clearly. John 1.1 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, And the Word was God. The Word was a person in fellowship with God, and the Word was himself personally and eternally divine. What is John trying to say? Jesus is the Son of God and was God himself. So right off, John is laying a foundation that if we don't understand who Jesus is, then the gospel story of Jesus is little more than once upon a time or finding Dory. It is not a Disney story. It is a story of eternity being broke into our world and God manifesting himself to us. Jesus is God's son. He is God himself. And the miracles he does, he does by the power of his father. It is Jesus of Nazareth. And John starts his gospel off that way. And then we can take a breath, go through the gospel of John, and begin to see the miracles of Jesus and the love John had for Jesus. And we relax until the end of John. And then John once again pushes us back out to the deep end. Jesus tells his disciples near the end of the gospel of John, about John 14, After three and a half years of ministry, he says to them, All right, boys, 
I'm leaving. And they go, no, you're not really leaving. Wherever you go, we're going to go. And Jesus says, no, you're not coming with me. I'm leaving. For three and a half years, these disciples walked with Jesus, slept beside Jesus, saw the miracles, were in the boat when the storm was calmed, carried baskets of food after the feeding of the 5,000, saw the blind seen, demons cast out, limbs restored. This Jesus said, by the way, I'm leaving. And the disciples were panicked. How do we survive without you? This can't be happening. But Jesus gives them a promise. In fact, Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I leave. Jesus says this to them at the end of John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter or helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. The phrase, another comforter, is full of meaning. It denotes a personhood, someone with a personality, a remarkable person at that. The richness of the word means counselor or helper, advocate, or a John Knox translated, one to befriend you, another comforter. The first comforter was Christ. He was with them. He directed them. He talked with them. He was their Messiah. He is our Messiah. And this comforter brings with it the thoughts of encouragement, support, assistance, care, shouldering responsibilities beyond our own ability to handle, to care for another's welfare, are all conveyed by the word comforter. And Jesus says, my father is going to send you another comforter. Jesus was the original, but there's one more coming. So these disciples were terrified. Jesus was going away. But as a result of our Lord going to his crucifixion and his resurrection and telling the disciples, don't go anywhere, stay in Jerusalem, there is someone coming to you. It is the comforter. The spirit of truth, John fourteen twenty six says, but the helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. In the Old Testament, God's word and God's spirit are parallel powers and phrases. God's word is his almighty speech. Do you remember when God brought the world into being? What did he do? Just to talk about God waving his arms? To talk about God? No. God spoke. And then he breathed. And when he breathed, life came in. Both phrases convey the power. Listen to this. Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. The spirit or breath of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, and there was. 
You see, God spoke the word, but the Spirit brought it to life. There we see in 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 an odd form or unusual form the beginning idea of the Trinity that John makes very clear in his gospel. The psalmist writes in Psalm 33, 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath or spirit of his mouth. So God has his word and God has his breath, and this is part of the Trinity we need to understand. In the beginning of John's gospel, he tells us the divine spoken of was the person. It's a divine spirit. It is a Holy Spirit. It is part of the three personality of God. John records this mystery of three persons, God the Son doing the will of the Father, the Spirit doing the will of the Father, and of the Son, these three. So John starts off with introducing us to God the Father and the Son as being equal. And at the end, Jesus says, another's coming equal to me, the Holy Spirit. And there we have the Trinity. This is the point stressed that the Spirit coming will be with us forever. That's something I'm going to emphasize a little bit later on. The ministry of Christ, the comforter, was important. The ministry of the Holy Spirit as our comforter can scarcely be less important. If the work that Christ did matters to the church, the work that the Spirit does must matter also. And I'm afraid that in a lot of churches today, we don't talk much about the Spirit. Let me make a startling statement that J.I. Packer makes in his book, Knowing God. He says this, Were it not for the work of the Holy Spirit, there would be no gospel, no faith, no church, no Christianity in the world at all. It is the work of the Spirit that brought this all about by talking to the by, by leading the disciples. So John has now laid this foundation. So if I had to define what is the work of the Holy Spirit, then we'll look at aspects of that. This is what it would be. The work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest or show forth the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church. In other words, the work of the Holy Spirit is to make you and I alive in the church alive so the world says there is a God and he is present. This indicates the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity, like God the Son, and represented as being holy to do the work within this world. So let me look at four actions that the Holy Spirit does for us. Now, there are a dozen. They won't let me preach on all 12. Um, You're only getting four, and last service, four was way too much. Uh, We're going to do our best to get through it. I won't tell any stories. Just read the stuff and just walk away. I'm going to tell stories. I've got to tell stories. The first, the first action the Spirit does is the Holy Spirit empowers. If you use the outline in your book, the first letter is empowers. The Holy Spirit gives life. He gives us life. In the realm of nature, it's the role of the Holy Spirit to give life to all animated creatures. It was the Spirit that made the world come alive, whether on the ground or in the sky or in the air. I know you haven't been taught that, but when you think about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, you begin to realize 
He plays a very important role in the Trinity. Life is based on the Spirit. Psalm 104.30 says, When you send forth your Spirit, they were created. They were made alive. So the Holy Spirit is throughout the Bible bringing life. In fact, here's Job. Remember Job? He's the one that suffered so at the hands of Satan. And God said, he is my precious servant. Job says this in Job 34. Should God take back his spirit to himself and gather to himself his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. In other words, your being alive today is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, as a believer, we have a unique standing with God because we have the Holy Spirit that works within us. But all life on this earth depends upon the Spirit of God. And let me tell you, you're not going to be around when the Holy Spirit takes us to be with him. And the Spirit leaves this world and anarchy comes. Here we see the role of the Spirit in giving life and sustaining all life. Parallel with this role of the Holy Spirit to give us new life is regeneration. That's what it talks about being born again. When we give our lives to Christ, we are renewed in our inner person by the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, for many of us, we remember that experience. And some of us, we don't remember it quite as clearly. But we, know, we need to know from Scripture that we are renewed. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel, Nicodemus, that I said this to you. You must be born anew. How are we born anew? Well, if you're stuck in Nicodemus' thinking, well, does that mean I go back into my mother's womb and start all over again, hit the reset button? No, that's what Nicodemus thought. But Jesus says, no, it's a remarkable remaking by the Spirit of God at that moment. Paul says, who made us competent to be ministers of the new covenant? Not the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This Spirit, this empowering Spirit, is what lives in you and me if we trust in Christ as our Savior. It is the Spirit gives life, but the flesh profits nothing. This life-giving function is seen throughout Scripture. Jesus was born in the womb of Mary because he was put there by the Holy Spirit. Wow, everywhere we look, we see the Spirit of God acting and working, and he is. And sometimes we tend to forget that because we're not taught it. If the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit which dwells in you. Paul wrote those words to, to the Romans. If Christ dwells in you, the Spirit dwells in you. It is not a second baptism. It is not a second timing. When you give your life to Christ and you are born again, the Spirit comes in you at that moment. And not to take away the end of my message, it's with you forever. It's with you forever. The Holy Spirit gives life. If you don't feel life in your life, if you find yourself discouraged and despondent, 
It is not because you lack the Spirit. It is because somehow you've allowed the pressures of this world and the things of this world to put you on an off-ramp from life. You've become discouraged. You begin to look at the things of this world. You begin to think about, how do I change the world? Well, you're not going to change the world. God wants you to change your life. And that may change the life of your spouse, of your children, of your co-worker, of your friend. But you are to change your life with God's power. And you have that power in your life. Leave the world to God. So the Holy Spirit empowers You have life in Christ. It's not just based on feeling. Now, I'm a therapist. Most of you know I'm a therapist. And we live with feelings, words. I always say, what do you feel about this? And then people write me a big check. Because they tell me about their feelings. Oh, that's a cute little feeling. I just lost all my clients, I know. (laughs) But feelings are important. But feelings are not to direct our lives. They're the frosting of life. The cake, the foundation, is the Word of God. And when our feelings match up to what we know the Word of God happens to say, we often have those pleasant, wonderful experiences of feelings. But that's not a sign of whether the Spirit was in you. The Spirit is within you because Scripture says it is within you. So the Holy Spirit empowers The second thing I want to talk about the Spirit does, it purifies. It purifies. The Scripture says it sanctifies us or makes us holy in the conduct of our life. That's what the Spirit is to do. Now, if you find yourself having a lot of guilty feelings, praise God. You say, guilt's terrible. Well, guilt can be. But do you recognize that sometimes the negative attitudes and feelings we have are the prompting of the Holy Spirit saying, you've got to change that. You've got to move away from that. You've got to let go of your anger. You've got to let go of your bitterness. We're saying, no, I've earned the right to be angry. I am justified to be angry. I hate that person. I'll drink the poison and they will die. But the Holy Spirit purifies and empowers. On Thursdays, there's a small group of us men that meet for Bible study. And one of those men uh, loves to tell a story that I think was so impactful for him. It's, he tells it as though it happened the very day before. It's delightful to hear him say it. But he was in the military, and uh, he had a drinking problem. He knew he did. And so he's sitting at the officer's club drinking, And somehow he just has this urge to challenge God and say, I love this stuff. And if you'll take the desire away from me, I'll put it down and I'll walk away. He put it down. He walked out the back of that bar and never returned again. And he knew that was the work of God. But I'm talking about purification. Guess what? He had a miracle the next day. Because the miracle was not that he didn't want to go back and drink. He knew God had taken care of that. The miracle was, being in the military, he had a limited vocabulary. If you've been around military men, they have a few choice words for everything. 
You can sum it up in three words, which I will not repeat because your mother's here. And at one point during the very next day, his mouth fills up with this venom. Out it pours. And suddenly he says on his own, that can't be left alone. He knew himself by the work of the Spirit in his life. That language had to change from that moment on. No one told him, hey, now you're a Christian. You can't talk that way. Nobody told him that. It was a spirit in his heart that said, if you're going to live for me, that kind of language can exist. That's what purification means of the Holy Spirit. When you find yourself angry and you're bitter and you're upset about something, you don't need a therapist. You need to confess your sin. Losing more clients all the time. But he knew that was the work of the Spirit. And for a long time, he probably had to remain silent because there really aren't a whole lot of good Christian curse words to replace the military curse words. So he learned to be quiet and meditate on the Word of God. He made that change. He was washed. He was sanctified. He was justified. And he needed no one to tell him that. That was the work of the Spirit in his life. That is what the Spirit does for us. It reminds us of our sin, not so that we feel guilty, but so that we know what we need to confess to our Lord and work on. The initial work of the Holy Spirit is to get us to look more like Christ, to help us live with love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Has anybody ever said to you, I have no idea what God wants me to do? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. When you've got those done, come back, we'll do part two. We don't need more of what does God want in my life. We know what God wants in our life. It's kind of like, Oh, can we skip those and go to something else? How do I love people, really? Is it really a namby-pamby kind of love? I let people take advantage of me, or can I set boundaries? What about joy? What if you suffer from depression, and it's hard? You've had a lot of losses in your life, and you're full of grief. How do you handle joy and all that? It's a struggle, but it's a call of God. What about peace or patience? I don't know about you, but I think those little crossing guards, little red signs are Nazis. If I want to make a right turn, I want to make a right turn. Don't just stand there for the kid to get out of the way. He'll see me. I'll hit the horn if I need to. Back him up. I have a right turn to make. I have a place to go, people to see, things to do. See, it's all about me. Sometimes we need to work on our patience. And if you've been around the church long enough, you know never pray for patience because you'll, you'll go through it. God will say, okay, I'll give it to you in big doses. Patience is hard. Why? Because we are an instant society. I remember about 15 years ago, much to my chagrin, I'm standing at my microwave waiting for some hot water to boil for tea. 
And I, 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 was, I was so beside myself, I had to laugh when I said, how long is this going to take? It's a microwave. It used to take 10 minutes on the stove. Now it takes me 90 seconds, and that's not fast enough. Patience. What about kindness? How are we showing kindness? Kindness to your spouse when they're not very nice to you? Kindness to your neighbor when they blow their leaves under your driveway? Kindness to your neighbor when he decided to just take a few feet of your driveway with his bumper? Kindness? Or do we feel kindness is a weakness? Or is it really an attribute of God? What about goodness? What does it mean to really be good? Or faithfulness? Or gentleness? Or self-control? We are not a people of self-control. If any of you watched any part of the Democratic or Republican conventions these last two weeks, the one thing you said is what these people are missing are self-control. They both need to grow up. One needs to shut his mouth and one needs to confess her sins. And I got to vote for one of them. I'm writing in somebody else maybe. I don't know. But I don't see a lot of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness on the Democratic platform, nor on the Republican platform. And if these people are supposed to be our leaders, they're going to govern our country. My prayer life is going to really grow a lot. I don't worry about the guy with his finger on the button. I worry about the guy who's going to make my taxes go up and take away our privilege to worship and love our Lord. But these are the things that that really show the character of God. If you say, I want to reflect God, I want to be a good witness for God, then here it is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Start with those, and then come back. We'll do part two if we need to, really. That's what the Holy Spirit does, is begins to purify our life. We are being changed into the likeness of God, glory to another, as it says in Corinthians. This sanctification, this big $10 word sanctification, means being changed into the image of God. And you are being changed. Either you're being dragged backwards across the concrete, or you're standing up and walking into it with God's help. But you are being changed. I encourage you, stand up and walk and cooperate with God versus being dragged into it. It's a lot easier in your rear end. We are being sanctified according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. These words of Peter are what he shares with us. So let's be led by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body and grow in personal holiness. That's hard to do today. It's always been hard. But today I think the drumbeat of our world is so loud it's harder to hear God. The Holy Spirit purifies. So the Holy Spirit gives us life. The Holy Spirit purifies And the Holy Spirit guides us. It guides us. 
There are many examples of the Spirit guiding people in the Old Testament. Um, In fact, one of the ways it was is Isaiah was really upset with the people of Israel who got into the habit of signing contracts based on their own personal control of life. They would make promises, Isaiah said, where they say, I will reap your wheat, I will grind your wheat, I'll build your barn, I'll give you 40 sheep, whatever it is. They would do all their business. And Isaiah said, how dare you do business like that? You don't have control over the next day. You dare to think you are God? He said that they should say, you should enter into a contract and put God in the middle with the statement, I will build your barn if it be the will of Jehovah. I will gather the grapes from your field if it be the will of our Heavenly Father. When I was new to the faith, I remember a lot of old saints used to say, see you next Sunday if it be God's will. I thought that was a fancy, cute little phrase. But you think about it, it's not a bad way to live. I have no guarantee I will be here next Sunday. So I can't promise you I'll see you next Sunday. But maybe if I put into my language and into my life the very phrases, I will see you next week if it be God's will, reminds me of the temporalness of this life, reminds me that life is fragile, and reminds me that God is in control. So even in the things I promise, I have a limited power to promise. It is God who is in control. The Holy Spirit guides. The Holy Spirit also comes and goes in the Old Testament. Remember the story of Samson? He was to be a judge for Israel. He was to punish the Philistines. And his parents did everything right. You look at a lot of the families in the Old Testament and their kids turn out to be terrible, just like us, (laughs) some of us anyway. But these parents, these parents for Samson did everything right. There's never a sin recorded against the parents of Samson. They did everything God asked them to do. When they raised their son Samson, they never cut his hair. Why? Because he was to be a spectacle for God with his long hair. He was to be unique. He never drank any wine whatsoever. And wine was the common drink at the table because in many ways it was safer than the water that they would drink sometimes. So Samson was set aside and his parents did everything right. And the first words out of Samson's mouth we have recorded there, he goes, get me that woman. What an abject failure. But the spirit of God was still on Samson. You read the first few chapters of that book, you find Samson destroying Philistines, reaping judgment, making mockery of them, fooling them. But Samson's fornication, his adultery, his his licentious lifestyle tripped him up. In a moment of drunken stupor and sexual ecstasy, he tells his wife what the secret is. The hair. Was it really the hair? The hair was symbolic of God's hand being on his life. So she has the barbers come when he's sleeping. They cut his hair. And Samson's eyes are then yanked out. 
He's put on a pillar to, to walk around and grind grain and be a joke. He's mocked and laughed at. He's lost his ability to judge the, the people of Philistine anymore. He became a joke. The Holy Spirit had left him. And you know, at the end of the story, before he passes away, the Holy Spirit is restored to Samson. And he brings down this temple that they are in and takes out the leadership of the Philistine council at that particular time. But the Holy Spirit comes and goes, comes and goes. For you and for me, the Spirit comes and does not leave. When you are born again, the Spirit of God comes upon you, lives within you, and the Spirit of God does not leave you. Don't ever say, I feel abandoned by God. That might be a bad feeling, but that's not scriptural. The Holy Spirit is within you at all times. He goes with you where you go. And think about where you take him sometimes. He is with you. He is that part of you that is there. That is our blessing for Samson, for David, the Old Testament king. The the Spirit came and went and came and went. The Spirit came upon Israel and left Israel. But our comforter, the gift from Jesus and the Father was, when the Spirit comes, it stays with us. What a privilege. That's why we are a body of Christ. That's why we are united together. In the vast majority of cases, we are led on a very simple thing. When Jesus was led and guided by the Holy Spirit, He was led into the desert for the 40 days of temptation. In fact, Mark's gospel is so forceful, it sounds as though, if you read it carefully, as though the spirit were to grab Jesus by the nap of his tunic and just push him out there, like Jesus was being led out, forced out into into the wilderness. That's the work of the spirit. But for us, the spirit is much more subtle. Paul says this in Galatians. But I say, or Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Don't run, don't rush, don't push. Walk. Walk by the Spirit. And do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. What frustrates you? Maybe it's the desires of your flesh. Maybe you have given in to those or feel somehow you can't overcome those. And what are they? Paul goes on. Let me tell you what they are, Paul says. They are plain. Fornication. Impurity. Licentiousness. Idolatry. Sorcery. Enmity. Strife. Jealousy. Anger. I read those slowly because I wanted to think about each word. Do these things reside in your heart? This morning, about 3.30, I woke up. And I sat on the edge of my bed and I was praying a little bit. Realize I'm not that spiritual. Uh, I was praying. I was thinking through this message. And and the thought crossed my mind, again, the purity of the Holy Spirit. And I realized 
I was very angry. There was someone in my life I was angry at. I hate him. Hate. I am drinking all the poison I can, hoping he will die. And I recognized that there was a real big hole in my spirit because of that hatred. There's not much I can do to change him. There's nothing I can do to change him. He has a grip on my heart. And I dare not pray for him other than I pray down God's wrath upon him. That's not God's will for my life to do. But I recognized that I was dealing with the flesh. I was indulging this fantasy that I was the judge. I was the jury. And I was to hate this person, and yet that's, that's exactly what Paul says. That's what's wrong with my personal life. There was anger. Maybe even enmity. When you look at your life, do you have those things? Are those things in your life? They are hard to admit to. Hard to admit to. Because I don't really go around feeling angry all the time. But somehow at 3.30 this morning, God woke me up and sat me up and said, you got an anger problem. No, I don't. <laughs> oh, yes, you do. But I'm justified. No, you're not. He's evil. That's my business. He's hurting me. I know. And Jesus said, I died for him. Can I stay angry? But Paul goes on to say the things we've heard before. Against these fleshly things we are to battle. Here we go again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Let us have no self-conceit, not provoking of one another, no envy of one another. That is what the guiding of the Spirit does in our life. If we're struggling in our spiritual life, walk into the crowd, folks. We all are. We self-deceive ourselves. We think we're better than we are. And yet we are wonderful in the sense that we are redeemed by Christ. We have the freedom to love one another and to care for one another because Christ died for you and for me and is changing us. So let the Holy Spirit guide you and live with the contrast between the things of this flesh that war against the Spirit and lean into the Spirit not the desires of the flesh. The Holy Spirit will guide you and direct you if you spend the time in the Word of God, which leads us into my fourth and last point here. The Holy Spirit teaches and illuminates the Word of God to us. A lot of people say to me, 
I have a hard time reading the scriptures and understanding them. Well, part of that's your educational system. <laughs> Blame the teachers. No, I'm not saying that. My wife was a teacher for 43 years. But sometimes we don't take the patience to really read the word of God carefully. We have some marvelous translations of the scriptures nowadays. You don't have to freak out about, I really should know the Greek. I really should know the Hebrew. No, you don't. We have translations today that are wonderfully and powerfully made. And if you've got a question about a word or so, go see Pastor Mike. We can figure those things out for you. There's nothing substantial in Scripture that isn't caught in the simple English of the language. That the Holy Spirit teaches and illuminates. It opens the Word of God to us so we understand the things of the world. What's going on with the world? Where's the world going? What's going to be happening in the future? We know. Read the book of Revelation. Let it turn your hair white. We know what's going to happen. And yet we don't have despair. We have hope. Because we know that the end of the world is going to mean the beginning of a new world with Christ. The Holy Jesus said the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. He will teach you what you, what you need to say and illuminate the word of God. Sometimes we feel that when we need to share our faith with someone, we need to have all these wonderful arguments like the case for Christ or the case for the Bible and the seven points of this or that to really convince someone how to become a Christian. Rarely do we argue people into the, heaven, into the heavenly places. It's usually people saying, I feel empty. And we say, I know how to fill that gap with Christ. I feel lonely. I know what that feels like. So many people are looking for a place to connect, a church to belong to, a place to call home. And you folks do a really good job of that. One of the things I hear over and over again is people say we're a friendly church. And I think we are. When I see people in the lobby shaking hands, I see people here talking to one another. Very few people can walk in here unless they choose to, to just sit down and nobody talks to them. People want to be acknowledged and known, and you do a good job of that. Let me encourage you to continue to do that, to walk up to someone you don't know and say, Hi, it's your first time here? I did that last week. And the gal said, I've been here for six months. I said, well, I talked to one of the pastors about that. I didn't know you were. <laughs> no, she, I had a badge and said as a pastor. Um, I have a hard time remembering names and faces sometimes. But we're a friendly church. And the Holy Spirit illuminates and teaches us the word of God so we can apply it to our life. Let me give you a little key here when you, when you look through the word of God. As you read through the New Testament... Most of the yous, Y-O-U, in the Bible are really plurals. There is no good English translation unless you're from Georgia, and then you'd say, you all. If you want to, and I give you permission to write in your Bibles, circle the yous in your Bible. And most of the time, you'd be able to say that really should be translated, you all. And you'll get the idea that we are a united body of believers supporting one another. Ever read that verse that says, pray without ceasing? 
And you kind of go, I can't do that. I got to go to work. I got dishes to wash. I got floors to mop. I got to vacuum the rugs. I got to change the baby. How can I pray all 24 hours a day? I'll forget what I'm doing. That's addressed to you all. Meaning, when you pray at 6 o'clock, you are praying for you all, for our church. And in this body of believers, as we're praying and reading the word of God, we are supporting one another as we pray. And as a body, we are praying constantly and without ceasing because we're all praying all the time. Whether you pray at 6 o'clock, I got 3.30 in the morning covered for you guys for today. <laughs> all right? Somebody pick it up at 4 a.m. and go backwards here if need be. To get the point... If you pray at 6 a.m. or you pray at 8 p.m., you're praying for the whole church. I'd like you to think about involving that idea in the church and say, I want to pray for Pastor Mike right now as he prepares the message for next week. I want to pray for our worship band as they put the music together. I want to pray for a youth pastor that's meeting with some youth that's in crisis. I want to pray for our children's pastor who's going to you know, develop some new programs for our children's area. Pray for those things. And then you're doing the you all kind of prayer when you read the prayer cards and somebody's got cancer or they're sick or they're going through a tough time or they're going through divorce you can say i want to pray for this family you are you all at that point and we are as a body of christ praying without ceasing nurturing one another helping one another and letting the word of god come alive you might say i really don't know how to pray that well Let me encourage you to open your Bible to the middle, to the Psalms, and read the Psalms, and let those be your guide for prayer. There's great, you say, oh, they're really fancy. Well, written by a man of God, led by the Holy Spirit, they are pretty great. They've been around for a while. But learn the words, learn the phrases, what he praises for. That's a good way to begin. You want to know how to live your life in a way that honors God? Read the Proverbs. The Proverbs are a great way to figure out how to, to, to figure out the Word of God. You want to know what it means to live your life and totally become bankrupt and lost? Read Ecclesiastes. In fact, think of this. When you read Ecclesiastes, I want to picture in your mind an old fat king named Solomon sitting at a bar with a day-old beer, writing down his memoirs of his life. Okay, he's discouraged, he's despondent, he's writing about life under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Why? Because Solomon had it all and lost it all. He followed God, he lost God. How do you lose God? Read the Old Testament. Not the whole thing, you'll figure it out. How he went from the wisest man in the world to the stupidest dog, you know, doorpost you could ever want. Because he walked away from God. And you get to see what Solomon's life was like at the end. It was pathetic. It was pathetic. So the word of God illumines us. It teaches us. And I believe the word of God should inform us when we pray, when we walk with the Lord and live our life. What is God's will for your life? Love. Joy, peace, patience, go back and review that. Do you have the power to do that? Yes. The Holy Spirit resides in you, is in you, will stay in you, and does not leave you. Even if you fear the worst sinner in the world, you are forgiven. 
I don't mean to cheapen sin. I mean to raise the cost that Christ paid for you. You are free. Live like it. Let the Spirit empower you. Let the Spirit purify you. Let the Spirit guide you. Let the Spirit you know, illuminate the Word of God to you. And walk in His joy and in His presence. It is not beyond any of you to do. No one needs to be a super saint. It says walk by the Spirit. And I'm grateful. I like to walk. I'm not a good runner. I'm a pretty good walker. Pretty good walker. Psalm says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your word. Psalm 119.18. The Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity. Our foundational belief. He is holy. He gives life. He purifies. He guides. He illuminates. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, sometimes we ignore the work of the Spirit in our life or we expect spectacular things from the Spirit. But Father, the Spirit is the daily daily walk with us, daily experience for us to trust in you and to love you. Sometimes we try to make the spiritual life complicated and it's not. Hard, yes. Hard because we live in a world that just is so loud, it's so hard to hear your voice. We live in a world so fast-paced that we don't even recognize we're running through life and we're to walk through life. Slow us down, Speak to our hearts. Encourage our souls, Father, that we might rejoice in you. Father, help us find ourselves. Help us believe in the Spirit of God living within us at all times and never leaving us. We thank you for that hope. We thank you for that privilege. Dear Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your comforter to us. How special we are. How special is your church. And how special is his family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We now come to the part of our service where some of you may want to just make a statement or recommit your life to Christ. And we'll have our prayer team up here across the front. If something about the service touched you in a unique way and you want to come and pray about it, you're welcome to. You can also pray right where you're at. There's no requirement to come forward. But if you'd like to, because that just kind of solidifies in your mind the fact that I came and talked to someone about an impact in my life, we'd like you to be here to to pray with you for that. So to make it easy for everyone to come forward, we ask you to stand up and to pray and to relax and to, uh, everyone should be praying, not just watching those coming forward, Um, but a chance to recognize that you are God's children and he loves you. And he values you. And he wants you to know that he loves you very much. So come now, use this chance to pray, to recommit, to bring things to God.